Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet Man, is on the, the phone. Here we go. It is Friday, February 11th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Eratora Sports Podcast. So much to get into today. Let's break it down. We will start with the continued chaos on the planes. Auburn, football, Brian Harson. I talked about it on Monday's episode, and it has been as crazy as it was in the lead up to Monday. I think it's been even crazier since. I'll get you caught up on what has gone on there, because I've never seen anything like it. From there, we will talk a little bit of the big game don't do a ton of NFL preview stuff on this show but if there's one day to do it it feels like the day before the Super Bowl I will give you my pick I will tell you who I like to win all of that good stuff and then from there we will take a quick break and welcome in what I think is a really fun guest that I do think you guys and girls will enjoy Bill Polian joins me so Bill Polian uh, many of you probably remember him from working at ESPN for a short time, uh, probably about four, five, six years, whatever, was one of their lead NFL analysts. But before that, he was an NFL GM. And so he has a new book out kind of going through the history of the NFL. But he also goes through some of the championship teams that he built as one of the greatest executives in the history of football. This is the guy that built the Buffalo Bills teams that went to multiple Super Bowls in the early 90s. This was the guy that built the Indianapolis Colts team that ultimately won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning in 2006 or 2007 or whatever it was. He was the first GM of the Carolina Panthers. So really fun interview with Bill Polian. I really do think you guys will enjoy it. And he talks about what it is like to win a Super Bowl, be on that podium holding the trophy, driving to the stadium before the game, after the game, whatever. Really fun interview with Bill Polian that I do think you guys and girls will enjoy. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is pretty straightforward. It is just this chaotic, wild scene on the plains between Brian Harson and the Auburn Tigers. And on Monday's show, I did kind of a big, you know, 25-minute recap of everything you need to know. How did we get here? What happened then? What about this? Uh, How he was hired? Why the AD kind of went behind the booster's back? But at the end of that rant, what I did say was this. I said, look, Brian Harson and Auburn, you you guys and girls, you got to go into a, a closed room, lock the door, and figure it out. There is still a way to salvage this, and you both have some responsibility. Auburn boosters, you got to let the football coach coach the football team, as Brian Harson said. Brian Harson, let's not say that you have no blame at all in this situation, because you do. You are the guy that has had five different coordinators in the last year. You are the guy that has had 20 different players enter the transfer portal in the last couple months. So clearly, both of you guys and girls need to figure it out. Auburn boosters, let your team, let, let your football coach coach the football team. Auburn football coach, figure out a way to make a more harmonious environment where you can be tough on guys, but also people feel respected. And so that's where we were on Monday, and I thought we could figure out a way. We could figure out a way. There's too much money involved, this, that, the other thing. Well, over the last couple days, it has become clear that that situation is almost certainly not going to happen. And so what I want to do is I want to get you caught up on everything that has happened 
all of the chaos, all of the backstabbing, because I'm telling you, this is one of the single craziest stories that I have ever seen. This is one of those stories that's so crazy. This is like one of those like fake Netflix docu-series that's supposed to be based on college football, but it's so crazy that it can never happen in real life. Oh, it's happening in real life. It's happening on the planes with the Auburn family. And so let's get into it and let's really explain what has happened over the last couple days that has made this situation basically impossible, okay? So first of all, to fully explain, I do have to go back to something I talked very briefly about on last Friday's show, which was an internet message board rumor about Brian Harson. And if you remember at the time, I basically said, look, I don't dabble in message board rumors. And in that specific case, I definitely wasn't going to because it was really something that was not football related and had to do with people's personal lives. It didn't just involve Brian Harson; It involved his family. It involved his kids. It involved uh, another young woman and allegations against her. And I said, I'm not touching it. But I do think now, a week later, I have to bring it back up because it, it, it really sets the framework for everything that has happened the last week at Auburn uh, and how we got to where we are today here on Friday at midday. So let's get into the rumor because one, all y'all know about it, but two, like I said a second ago, it really does set the, the parameters. It helps you contextualize everything that has happened at Auburn over the last week. And so the message board rumor, for the third time, you guys and girls know, there was a rumor that Brian Harson was having an extramarital affair with a woman on his staff that was obviously not his wife, um, a, a, a young lady that he brought from Boise that worked in the recruiting department. Now, over the last week, I bring it up because it's very clear that, um, that, that there's no proof, I should say, that that story is actually true, but it helps contextualize what has gone on and, and why everything is so crazy at Auburn, and specifically why that rumor broke when it did is important to this story. Well, as I told you on Monday, Brian Harson Thursday, had a big speaking engagement with Nick Saban at the Senior Bowl. Then he tells his staff, hey, I'm taking a week off. You guys do what you want. Go travel. Go spend time with family. Spend time with your kids, whatever. I'm getting out of town for a week. He goes to Mexico or Turks and Caicos or wherever, and on Thursday, he has to come back because there's a meeting of all the SEC coaches in Birmingham. So Brian Harson from last Thursday to this Thursday had nothing going on and said, I'm taking a break. You guys and girls do what you want to do on staff. So why is that message board rumor important? It's because it just so happened that it broke, oh, I don't know, while Brian Kelly is on in-air going out of the country to an exotic location that is definitely not Auburn, Alabama. And the context and the importance of that is pretty straightforward because it pretty much sets the framework of what Auburn's plan is, the, the plan of the boosters to get Brian Harson out. We're going to leak this rumor when he's out of the country, on vacation, and the last thing he wants to be thinking about is Auburn football. And at that point, we're not going to have to – at that point, one of two things is going to happen. Currently, Brian Harson has an $18 million buyout. But if we leak this rumor at this moment, at this time, one of two things will happen. One, the school will be forced to do an investigation. They'll probably find something, and we won't have to pay that full $18 million buyout, and then we can spend all that money on the new coach that we want. Or two, we're going to make life for Brian Harson so miserable that he is going to say, you know what? I don't even want your $18 million. Let me do the Chris Mack reduced buyout. I just want to get out of here. So that was why that message board rumor at that time was so important because it set the framework for everything that has happened since. Auburn basically figures we're either going to do an investigation, fire him with, with, with cause, and not pay him anything. Or two, he's going to be so miserable he's going to want to reduce buyout. What they were not planning for, though, was this. Brian Harson decided, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to pull the George Costanza. I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But I'm also, when I get back to the States, I'm the Auburn football coach. I'm wearing the little shirt with the A and the U. I'm going down to the coaches' meetings in Birmingham on Thursday, and I am acting like the Auburn football coach. And if you guys and girls want to fire me, then you guys and girls fire me. But you are going to pay me every single penny of that $18 million buyout. 
And that's how we got to where we are today. That is why this is going on for a week or a week and a half at this point. It's because Auburn has, Auburn has done a bunch. First of all, the, the outgoing uh, school president who is being replaced, he's leaving. He announces last Friday they're going to start an investigation. They're going to separate fact from fiction. Then Auburn releases a statement on Monday saying we're going to look into some stuff, blah, 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 this and that. All while Brian Harson, at least as of right now, appears to be clean as a whistle. I don't know what he does in his personal life. I don't know what he does this. I don't know what he does that. But I don't know that he's done anything that you can fire him with cause for $18 million. And so that's why this is so fascinating. Auburn doesn't want him as a coach. I don't even know if he wants to be the coach. But the issue is, oh, I don't know. Uh, How about a little bit of an $18 million uh, buyout that we got to get figured out? There's $18 million on the line to figure out what happens next at Auburn. So what I would say is a couple things. First of all, in terms of Auburn's perspective, I do think it's important to note, probably doesn't help Brian Harson if he does somehow want to keep this job. Uh, the school decision will be made by the school president. And I do think that's important because Alan Green, who's the guy that has hired him, my understanding has ultimately no say in what happens going forward. If you want to call Alan Green a lame duck, if you want to say his job is potentially on the line, that part I don't know. But what I do know is that this, school, this decision is going to be made by the school. And at this point... I don't know how you do anything other than pay Brian Harson the $18 million that he's owed. On the one hand, you've been doing an investigation for a week, okay? So if you were going to fire him for cause, I would think that by noon Eastern on Friday, you would have something to go off of. Maybe that changes an hour after this recording finishes. I don't know. I am just telling you facts. If you had something on Brian Harson, it would have come out by now. But at the same time, here's also why you're probably going to have to pay him that $18 million. You can't bring him back at this point because as bad as things were, 20 players leave the program, recruiting is struggling, a bunch of coordinators leave. How is there any reason to believe that Brian Harson can salvage it at this point? And some of it, again, is on him. But a lot of it is on you guys and girls as the boosters. Because think about it. How is Brian Harson supposed to push this program going forward? How is he supposed to bring in a staff that is going to have any sort of success next year? Because just, first of all, they're coming off a season in which you lose 20 players to the portal, five straight losses. So things were already not good. Now, he's essentially got to rehire a new coaching staff in a situation where everybody knows going into the season that nobody wants him. Everybody knows going into the season that if he has another bad season, he's probably going to get fired after this season. And so... How is Brian Harson supposed to put together a staff? What kind of respectable offensive coordinator, position coach, defensive coordinator is going to come into this program at this time? I don't see how you do it because I don't see how anybody would possibly take this job knowing that, oh, by the way, the most powerful people at the university don't want the head coach there and that I'm probably only going to be here a year. So that's the first part. The second part, it's a little thing called recruiting. And I guess maybe in theory, Harson could hit the transfer portal and crush it and knock it out of the park. But how are you going to recruit the high school class of 2023, which my understanding is, is very, very, very good in the state of Alabama? How can you go into those kids' homes and convince mom and dad, come be part of the Auburn family, when the Auburn family is stabbing the head coach in the back and you commit for the 2023 season and there's a pretty good chance that that head coach isn't going to be there? And so to me, I think you almost have to fire Brian Harson at this point and you have to pay him his money because one, he's getting every last penny, but two, there's no way for Brian Harson. if you keep Brian Harson, there is no way to build any real momentum for him as the head coach or the program going forward. So if you keep Brian Harson, and if you say, you know what, after we can't pay him $18 million now, but we'll pay him a, a smaller buyout after the next season. Well, guess what? He's not going to be able to bring in a coaching staff. The recruiting is going to suffer, and things are only going to fall farther behind in a division where it's everybody's getting better. Ole Miss is getting better. Arkansas just won nine games. Mississippi State won seven games in the regular season and just beat Auburn. LSU, I think, is going to be really interesting with Brian Kelly going forward, and Alabama is Alabama. So you bring back Brian Harson, you're just setting yourself back that much farther, and my understanding is his buyout doesn't go down that much. My understanding is this buyout is like $15 million after the 2022 season, which means you're only saving $3 million if you're going to wait eight, nine months to fire him anyway, and you're going to get killed in recruiting, and you're going to get killed uh, you know, trying to hire head assistant coaches. I just don't see how you can bring him back at this point. Beyond that, I'd also say this really quick. I don't even know why Brian Harson would want to come back. Listen, 
If I was Brian Harson, I'd be doing the exact same thing. I'd be saying, you want to fire me? Look into me, do whatever. I'm getting all $18 million. But I do think at a certain point, if you're Brian Harson, why would you want to come back? Why would you not only, I understand you want to fight for your job, but forget the job. One, you're not wanted. And we've all had jobs with bad bosses, bad ownership, bad whatever, where you're just like, dude, I don't even want to be here anymore. But two, think about what this is doing to his family. It's funny. I was on in Tuscaloosa uh, with my buddy Ryan Fowler, and we were talking about this. Imagine being his wife and having to go to the grocery store this week after everything that's going on. Imagine being his daughters, and I don't know if they're in high school or where they are in their schooling, but imagine if they're in middle school or high school having to send those kids back to school. That's not fair to Brian Harson. And so at this point, I'll say this. I would probably fight for every 18, every cent of that $18 million, but what I would also say is, I would make damn sure that there is nothing in my past that could be used where I get nothing. And so maybe this does result in a buyout where he just said, or a reduced buyout where he just says, you know what? I don't want to put my family through this. You guys and girls don't want me here, and I don't want to be here. And oh, by the way, if you keep digging, you'll eventually find something. So that to me is the fascinating part. I think he gets all 18 million. I don't think at this point Auburn could bring him back, uh, but I don't know where they go from here because Auburn clearly doesn't want to pay the money. Now, it is worth noting one thing really quickly before, before uh, I transition here as to what Auburn could potentially do next, and that's this. Uh, my buddy Cole Kublik did tweet out something on Friday morning that is very, very, very interesting as it pertains to this story. Cole Kublik, who played at Auburn and is as plugged in in that Auburn community as anybody, actually tweeted out that he thinks that Brian Harson will be back. His direct tweet was, I believe that Brian Harson will be retained as the Auburn football coach. Alignment will be critical going forward. Adjustments from all sides will be necessary. Cole essentially saying what I said back on Monday is that adjustments will be necessary. Boosters, stay out of the football people's business. Football coach, be more interpersonal. Figure out a way to not lose every single assistant that comes to coach for you. So that's what Cole says. I don't know that we get there, though. I don't know that we get there because I don't know that Auburn has a choice to bring him back because how are you going to build momentum on a positive note with this football program? And then on top of that, if you're Brian Harson, do you want to be there? I think what's extra interesting, and we can get into this more next week if Brian Harson is indeed let go, what kind of coach are you getting if you're Auburn at this time of year? I, I don't have an answer to that. Now, on the one hand, there's one very big name that was linked to the job last year before Brian Harson got it. And that's Fred of the Aratora Sports Podcast, Hugh Freeze. And to me, it only makes sense if you're going through this much trouble to get rid of Brian Harson, you better have somebody lined up. Because if you're just going into a blind coaching search in the middle of February, now look, on the one hand, I, you know, I heard Andy Staples uh, from The Athletics say this, is that sometimes it actually works out to your benefit, right? Um, uh, you know, a few years ago, Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio retired in the middle of February, and Michigan State, basically anybody that was available, they were able to go after without any competition. So I guess there's the argument that you might be able to actually get a better coach because you're not competing with other open jobs. But to me, I don't know what kind of coach coming off of what they just saw with Brian Harson would take this job. And so to me, I mean, Hugh Free seems like the only logical name that would make the fan base happy, that would actually win, and that would probably take the job. But I'll tell you this, man, it is going to be fascinating going forward. But again, I don't mean to belabor the point. This is one of the single craziest stories that I have ever seen covering college sports as basically, um, you know, I use the analogy that it's like a Netflix docuseries where, um, you know, where, where uh, it, they're pretending it's a college football program, but it's not real life. I'll give you another one. This is like a, one of those Netflix murder mysteries where it's very clear that uh, the, the cops have figured out uh, who, the, who they want to blame for the crime, but they have no evidence. That's what's going on at Auburn right now. The school kind of, you know, they, 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 they did the firing backwards. Usually, you know he's not the guy. You get your money together. You fire him. This time, they said, you know what? We're going to fire you first and figure out the details after. That's essentially what they did. We'll, play, you know, we'll make up rumors about you. We'll make you so uncomfortable. We'll make sure it's when you leave the country so you can't defend yourself. This is just a wild, wild, wild story. And like I said, at some point, we're going to get some resolution. Either the school is going to announce that, that Brian Harson is back, they're going to announce he's fired, and from there we'll continue the conversation as to what Auburn does, but this is crazy. Really quickly, I don't want to spend too much time because I want to get to Bill Polian. Super Bowl this weekend. 
Super Bowl this weekend, Super Bowl whatever it is, 54-55, I don't know. It's in Los Angeles. It's about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so the stadium from where I live. Uh, I was actually down at Radio Row on on Thursday afternoon. Super fun time. Great to see everybody. Saw a lot of friends and family. Did a few interviews, blah, blah, blah. I actually didn't see family. I saw friends uh, from all over. Got a couple buddies at the ringer, including John Jastrzemski over there. Uh, got, uh, I don't know, a couple other buddies here and there. Uh, Fox Sports Radio, obviously, was over there with that crew. But really fun day down at Radio Row and now we got a big game Rams are obviously facing the Cincinnati Bengals Rams are a two and a half point favorite and let me just I'm not going to beat around the bush I'm not going to take 15 minutes to get to the point I think the Rams are winning this game and what I would say is a couple things one I do think that the Joe Burrow stuff is really 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 cool I think it's a great story but I do think that the Joe Burrow narrative um, has been a little bit overhyped this this postseason and by the way not all of it is Joe Burrow's fault he has a terrible offensive line but you look at his last three games in these playoffs okay Um, you know 250 yards passing two touchdowns one interception against the Chiefs Uh, one zero touchdowns one interception against the Tennessee Titans two touchdowns zero interceptions 244 yards against the Las Vegas Raiders Joe Burrow has been really good these playoffs he has not been elite in these playoffs. I would argue that Josh Allen played better in a loss than Joe Burrow has played in any win these playoffs. Not that it matters. Joe Burrow's in the Super Bowl. Josh Allen isn't. But I just bring it up because to me, I think everybody's so caught up in this amazing Joe Burrow, he's incredible. He did this at LSU. He did that at the... Here's the bottom line. It's the defense and the, the special teams with Evan McPherson that has gotten them to the Super Bowl. Here's the problem. I don't see that being a recipe for success against the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams, to me, are better at virtually every spot on the field than the Cincinnati Bengals. First of all, I think this is going to be one in the trenches, and why I like the Rams so much is because that defensive line is filthy. Aaron Donald might be the most talented player in the NFL. Vaughn Miller was brought in for this moment and has been great in the playoffs. That defensive line gets after people, and Joe Burrow, we know he took eight sacks against Tennessee. It wasn't significantly better against the Kansas City Chiefs. I just don't know how he stays upright, and then if he does stay upright, he's going to be running for his life. And so there's that element of it. There's the fact that the Rams are playing in their home stadium. And oh, by the way, doesn't this just feel like a season where everything has broken right for the Rams. First of all, you trade for Matt Stafford. We have so many questions. Is it going to work out? Is it not going to work out? Then he gets to the playoffs. Oh, I don't know. Is he really the guy? Blah, blah, blah. Then he makes the game-winning throw against Tampa. Sets up a field goal, wins against Tampa. Tom Brady ultimately retires. Then from there, goes to last week's uh, NFC, or two weeks ago, the NFC Championship game. Down 17-7 going into the fourth quarter. He rallies the team to win. And so when you have a team that traded for a quarterback, knowing that their window is now, knowing that the Super Bowl is in their home stadium, and they have two fourth quarter comebacks, I'm sorry. To me, everything is lining up for the Rams. But beyond that, I also just think that every single matchup favors the Rams in this game. Sometimes I think it's as simple as, and I know it's not always apples to apples, but you know who has more good players, especially in the NFL, right? College, once you get to the national championship game, Georgia and Alabama, the rosters are pretty comparable. I picked Alabama in the title game, even though I picked the dogs in the preseason. How about my dogs? But I picked Alabama because it's like they're basically even, except Alabama is the better quarterback and the better head coach. Well, guess what? Alabama was winning in the fourth quarter, even though Georgia ultimately won. This game, I think it's the exact opposite. I probably trust Joe Burrow a little bit more than Matthew Stafford, but at the same time, look at every other skill position group. I love Jamar Chase, but I'll take the, the Rams receivers over him. Over, over, uh, over Jamar Chase and the, the Cincinnati Bengals receivers. I'll take the Rams O-line over the Bengals O-line. I'll take the Rams O-line against the Bengals defensive line. I think the Bengals defensive front is not as good as the Rams defensive front. You look at the fact that Jamar Chase is their biggest difference maker. He's going up against arguably the best cornerback in, this, in the NFL and Jalen Rams. And so to me, I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I think this one's pretty straightforward. I like the Rams 27-17, to 24, I'll say 24-17, Rams 24-17, I think that pass rush, I think the defensive line, that is what's going to win this game. I remember going back to that Tampa game a few weeks ago, I remember saying after that game, I said, look, everybody wants to talk about Tom Brady this, Matthew Stafford made this play, Cooper Cup this, the Rams defensive front made Tom Brady's life miserable for three quarters, 
And that was why they won that game. And so I think once again, the Rams will be uh, the difference makers there. The Rams will be your Super Bowl champions. I wouldn't, I'll say this, you want a long shot NFL uh, uh, Super Bowl MVP? By the way, my buddy Austin Montgomery, Aaron Torres Online, has an article on Super Bowl prop bets. You want a long shot prop bet? Aaron Donald, I think, could win this, this uh, Super Bowl MVP. I think he's going to be that dominant along the, the defensive line. But the Rams will be your 2022 Super Bowl champs. Final score, 24-17. All right, I've talked long enough. i got to get out of here. So with that said, I want to get out of here. We're going to bring in Bill Polian in a minute. Before we do, though, I want to say this. Please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I know I mentioned it, but if you are a business owner and you want to advertise with the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, reach thousands of people, tens of thousands of people every week, uh, across the entire country, but specifically the Southeast, uh, make sure that you reach out, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. But with that said, it's time for me to get out of here. Coming up, really fun interview. I think you'll enjoy this. Bill Polian, former NFL exec, uh, NFL exec with the Indianapolis Colts, where he was the general manager that put together the Super Bowl champion in the mid-2000s. He also put together the Buffalo Bills team that went to multiple Super Bowls in the 1990s, Carolina Panthers, etc. He has a new book out, really fun read. I encourage you to check it out. But Bill Polian coming up on today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. With that said, it's time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to those Auburn boosters. I think you're writing an $18 million check, people. I'll be back next week. All right, we'll get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook who have an incredible offer with the Super Bowl coming up. Here's the deal. First-time users, $5 money line bet on either team. It could be L.A., it could be Cincinnati. All you got to do is pick the winner. Don't need a point spread, don't need an over-under, none of that. $5, and if that team wins, $280 in free bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Tell them Aaron Torres sent you. Here's how you take advantage. First of all, click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on either team. Los Angeles, Cincinnati, whoever you want, $5. If that team wins an automatic $280 in free bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, it is the best offer going so make sure to take advantage now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, New York, Louisiana only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, joining me via Zoom. He is a uh, NFL executive, Hall of Fame NFL executive, author of a new book, which if you are watching on YouTube, you can actually see, I don't know if it's the book itself or a placard or what, but the book is called Super Bowl Blueprints, Hall of Famers Reveal the Keys to Football's Greatest Dynasties. Again, Hall of Fame exec, Super Bowl champion, Bill Polian. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Aaron. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you making some some time to talk a little bit about the book. What, you know, so so I've obviously read the book at this point, um, and it's really a really fun, you know, in the lead up to the Super Bowl here, uh, a really fun kind of look at basically the history of the NFL through the sports greatest teams and dynasties. So the Cowboys, the Raiders, uh, Bill Parcells, New York Giants. What made you want to undertake such a, a fascinating project? Because like I said, it's almost like a, a, an encyclopedia of football history kind of told through the people that live it. Well, that, that's a great description. Thank you. Um, 
we we started this project, uh, Vic Carucci and I, who was my co-author, with the idea that maybe we would take a look at a lot of different franchises and 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 how they built winners. And we recognized early on that that was too daunting a task. <laughs> so we decided immediately we couldn't do the Patriots because that would be an entire book, maybe two <laughs> books. Sure. Plus Tom is still playing and Bill is still coaching. So until you could get those two guys with some, with some perspective and some time away from the game, it, it wouldn't make any sense to do it anyway. Um, we, we, we thought about the 85 bears. It's almost sacrilegious not to have them in there, but so many of them, including Buddy Ryan, who was a driving force behind it, are, are, are not around anymore. So that sort of precluded that. And so we ended up with the, with the teams that we did, emblematic of that golden era of NFL football. And, and what, what, we start, what started out to be a narrative turned into being oral history. And we had so much fun doing it talking to these guys who are Hall of Famers and legends in the game, owners, executives, coaches, players. And what happened was we, we allotted an hour for each interview. Well, there wasn't one that went less than 90 minutes. Wow. And many went well over that. They were anxious to talk and anxious to tell us their stories. So a, a friend of mine called me last night to compliment the book. And I was gratified to hear it. But what he said was, was right on the money. He's a guy who I grew up with and we've been around, you know, he's been, we're, we've been together at lots of professional events that I've been involved in. So he's gotten a chance to sit there and talk with Tony Dungy and sit there and talk with Marv Levy and so forth. And, uh, and he said to me, you know, when I read the book, I felt I was sitting there talking to Jerry Jones. I felt like I was sitting in there talking to Troy Aikman. I felt like I was talking to Franco Harris, you know. So that's what we wanted to have happen. And thank God it did. Thanks to Vic, mostly. But uh, it, it, it turns out that you're in the room with these guys telling people what it was like and what you needed to do to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and to be clear, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones, as you said, Troy Aikman, you know, you go on and on down the list. Um, as you as you look back, first of all, you have the greatest names in the history of the sport. Are there one or two interviews that stand out? Is there anything that stands out as, you know, we got Bill Parcells, we thought it was going to be an hour and it ended up being six? Or, I mean, it was there one or two that, that stood out above all other ones? Well, the Parcells interview went a long time, for sure. <laughs> we're, we're friends. <laughs> and there was a lot to talk about. I always, I, I can't wait to talk to him. He's such a, such a, 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 a repository of football wisdom. But I think the thing that I took away from it, and while I can't talk about any more particulars than, than what I'll give you right now, I just finished being part of the Bears coaching and GM search. What struck me in doing this book, which you'd think, wow, you dummy, you should have known this a long time ago. How much the players hang on every word and every deed that the head coach does. He's the be all and end all. He controls their livelihood. He controls their finances. He controls whether they play or don't play. He controls their career. And they crave his approval. You can hear that in Terry Bradshaw talking about his relationship with Chuck Knoll and, and, and Harry Carson with, with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick as a young coach. Um, and, and they can be very critical if, if they don't think that that guy is giving them what they need. So, you know, you'd think that after 40 years in the business, I would have learned that, well, hey, the head coach is the most important guy. Well, I knew it, but not to the extent that you hear the, when you hear the players talk, these great players, guys who are Hall of Famers, talk about Mike Haynes, 
man, I was really scared to talk to Al Davis about my contract. (laughs) Wait a minute, he just traded for you. (laughs) Uh, You know, that, that, that's what struck me. Um, And, uh, and, and there's lots of that. Everybody's going to take different things away from it, but there's, that was the overarching message for me. You know, as you, and again, I know you can't speak about the Bears thing, but just in general, as you're looking at all these vacancies, um, you know, there were certain characteristics of coaches, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson, um, that I, I don't want to say they, do you believe that like now we look at coaches like Sean McVay, who's, it's not really that he's young, but that maybe more relatable to the players. It's not my way or the highway. Do you feel as though the ideal candidate has changed through the years or is it ultimately still inside the, the, the same guy that, that it would have been 30, 40 years ago? I, I, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Paul Brown, who I had the good fortune to come to know and work with on the competition committee for 10 years, the competition committee makes the rules in the NFL. And, and I got to know him and, and I joked that I got a PhD in football from Paul Brown. Um, because the, the, we were together every day and I'd drive him back and forth to the golf course and all that stuff. I was, the, you know, a young unknown, anxious to learn. And, and, and Paul Brown had what he called the eternal verities, meaning the eternal truths of football, what it takes to win. And it doesn't matter whether you're stern and austere with the players as Paul Brown was, or whether you're connective through the coaches, as Bill Walsh was. Bill Walsh would never criticize a player in practice. He'd criticize the coach. And the player would say, wait a minute, that's not my coach's fault. It's my fault. I got to be better. Bill Parcells, bingo, right in your face. If you didn't get the job done, you were going to hear about it. So there are different ways of getting the message across different ways of connecting, but the common truth is they all connect. All the great ones have a unique system of football that people really hadn't seen before. And finally, they are all really geniuses when it comes to managing the game and and constructing the team and managing people. They do it in different ways. In the end, the eternal verities are still there. Um, outside of the coaches, you know, as, as you kind of evaluated all of these things, it sounds like the head coach is, is be all end all to greatness with all of these organizations. Were there any other commonalities between all of these teams that you researched and these people that you spoke with? Yeah, committed organizations, committed owners who are willing to go the extra mile all the time to win, uh, who understood that they had to let their football people run the show, but yet still be committed to doing what it took to win. I was fortunate enough to work for, you know, Ralph Wilson and Jim Irsay, and they, they were phenomenal in that regard. There's, there's a reason why people win in the National Football League, and there's a reason why people don't win. It starts with ownership, and then it goes to the general manager who has to work hand in glove with the head coach, or let me retract that. I'll use a a modern day word. He has to be aligned with the head coach. They don't have to get along great. George Young and and Bill Parcells were were not the happiest marriage in the world, you know, Uh, but they, they, they do have to be aligned in how they view personnel, how the team should look, what the philosophy of football is gonna be. So you then have an alignment of, of, of values and direction. And so then the general manager has to find the players who can make the head coach's vision come true. And, and that's, again, no matter the personalities, that, that's how it works. Example, uh, coaching personalities, Bill Walsh, and Bill Parcells couldn't be more different in their approach to coaching players. And yet the results were the same because they knew football, they had systems that they knew would work 
and they connected with the players on a very personal, visceral level. Very good. Um, you know, you mentioned all this stuff. I want to ask you about a little bit of your career. I mean, three completely unique situations. The Buffalo Bills are struggling. You take over. Uh, obviously, a team that, that makes four straight Super Bowls. Carolina Panthers, you start from scratch, um, you know, and, and build the organization from the ground up. And then the Colts, of course, as well. Um, is there a commonality when you are that person, when you are in that front office, when you're taking over either a losing organization, or you're basically the, the Carolina Panthers, whatever was different, but you're starting from scratch. You're like, like, what is it like to be the guy that is put in charge of either rebuilding or starting something up from the ground up in the NFL? Because uh, you're obviously your, your, your track record, excuse me, as an executive speaks for itself. Well, first of all, you have to get the commitment from ownership. Yep. Here, here's the job. Here's what, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be willing to give you to do the job. And, and in certain cases, you gotta, you gotta rely on the wisdom of the owner to help you out. Case in point, uh, Jim Kelly was playing in the USFL. We'd lost him. He didn't sign with us, even though we had we retained his rights in the draft playing in the USFL, we got three blockbuster trade offers for his rights. And, and the last one was, was really a blockbuster because it would have solved the problem of having a, a reliable quarterback. It wasn't going to be Jim Kelly, but it would have been a reliable quarterback and there were going to be lots of other goodies thrown in. And, and I went to Mr. Wilson and I said, you know, this is a trade that we, we ought to consider because it solves a lot of problems for us. And he stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, no, no, no. We're going to sign Jim Kelly. He's going to become available and we're going to sign him and he's going to lead our franchise. We're not going to be chasing fool's gold. And in a year, that very thing came true. The was all folded. We signed Jim Kelly to the highest contract in football at the time. And, uh, and away we went. So, Committed say, ownership, number one. I don't mean to jump in, but it's funny, right? Because there's this narrative that now in 2022, if you don't have that elite Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, whatever, you can't win at the highest level. But it sounds to me that that's always been the case. If you don't have that A-plus guy, you know, there's always been historical outliers. But I, it feels like it changes an entire organization when you know that you have that guy under center that's going to kind of galvanize the entire organization. There's no question about that. Joe Gibbs in the books explains how he did it with three different quarterbacks, how he went to the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. And, and all the stories that the quarterbacks tell are compelling, including Doug Williams is absolutely heartwarming. Uh, but Joe's the only one who's done it that way, in effect. Um, here's the thing that that guy does for you, that, that, that top dog does for you, that top gun does for you. And through the, through the words of a friend of mine, along the assistant coach I was with for about 15 years, um, we're going through our two and 14 Peyton Manning, uh, uh, Sands Peyton Manning season, our last season in Minneapolis. And, uh, and, and we got about two games to go in the season and we were 0 and 14. We, I think we won the last two and uh, we're getting on the bus on Sunday morning. And he said to me, you know, for the last, 13 years, we've gotten on this bus knowing that no matter what happens or who else is on the bus, we got a 50-50 chance to win because 18's on the bus. 18, of course, being Big Manning's number. He said, it's a lousy feeling when that doesn't happen. <laughs> what that guy does is give you that feeling every week that we can win no matter what. And everybody else plays better. Everybody else coaches better because of it, because they know you have a chance to win. And, and there's no price tag you can put on that. I was going to say, I mean, I think, you know, there was no more emblematic moment of that than the Chiefs-Bills game last week, where it was like, it, you know, the, there's a cliche of whoever gets the ball last, oh, yeah, whoever has the ball last, like, that was a game where it felt like the other 10 guys on the field had complete faith in their quarterback that he was going to make the right play, the right decision every single time. And 
in in this particular case, it felt like the cliche was true of whoever does. It was true, as a matter of fact, whoever does have the ball last. But we say that all the time. But that was one of the games where you could feel like every guy on either sideline had total faith in the guy with the ball in his hand. That's absolutely right. Gunfight at OK Corral. That's, that's that's exactly what it was, you know, and 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 everybody, everybody, you, you're you're 100 percent right. Every guy on both sidelines said, hey, our guy can do it. Let's go. Let's play hard. Let's make sure we do it all right. Let me ask a dumb question. Is it, you know, sometimes us guys in the media, we just say stuff and, you know, I'm maybe a little bit younger. I don't know the history. It feels like we have a lot of really young, really talented, really dynamic quarterbacks right now in the league. Is that, is that always the case and we're just blowing it up because it's right now and we're talking about it or do, or do you see as an outsider, somebody that's not an outsider, but somebody that's been in the sport forever, do you see like, man, every Sunday I want to watch Joe Burrow, I want to watch Justin Herbert, because it just feels like the young guys in this sport, let alone the old guys, but the young guys in this sport, it just feels like the quarterback position is in a really, really good place. Well, it is. The, the preponderance of them are in the AFC to begin with. And that's because there have been many AFC franchises that have been down like Cincinnati for a long time and they're drafting high and they get a shot at these guys. Um, but in any given time, and it's been over uh, almost 50 years that I've been, been in, well, certainly in, in football, but close to 50 in professional football. Um, at any given time, there's six to seven elite quarterbacks. That's all God puts on the earth. They're hard to come by. <laughs> I mean, really elite. Not, not, not the media makes them stars or they're spectacular when they play. Guys who can elevate, like we were just talking about, make everybody else in the locker room say, I'm going to war today because I got my guy out here with the ball in his hands. Um, there are only about six or seven of those at any given time. So we say all the time that there's, you know, 50% bust rate in the draft and not just a quarterback, but at a lot of positions And it could be not only, you know, injuries off the field, whatever was, whether it was the quarterback or another position, was there anything, one commonality between the guys that do make it? Because to use the quarterbacks as a metaphor, I mean, it's kind of incredible when you look at these guys, their background, all that good stuff of, Josh Allen, Juco to Wyoming, Patrick Mahomes, baseball to Texas Tech, uh, to the, the the best quarterback on the planet. Uh, all that's – is there a commonality with these guys when you meet with them one-on-one -on -one at the combine or behind the scenes or you're doing research or whatever? Yeah, it's almost at every position. Um, talent's a given because we can all judge talent. And at the top level, I used to tell the scouts, my wife can find Edger and James. I mean, that's that's not hard, right? Yeah. Um, the commonality is love of the game, work ethic, football intelligence, processing speed, and dedication to your job. Those are the commonalities, five commonalities, all intangible. Now they're measurable by psychologists, obviously, but so-called intangibles. The great ones all have that whether it's Luke Keekley playing linebacker, Harry Carson playing linebacker, Mel Blunt playing corner, it doesn't matter. Or any quarter, any of those elite quarterbacks that you could name. And oftentimes, they're not the most spectacular or arresting athletes. Peyton Manning, you know, when, it, when he ran, didn't set anybody's heart a flutter. You know? <laughs> yeah. Players used to say he ran like Ichabod Crane, you know. It, 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 it's what they have in, inside and up here that drives them, that makes them great. Very good. A couple other ones before we get out of here. I mean, you mentioned Peyton Manning. You were obviously the, the GM when Peyton Manning became an Indianapolis Colt. I mean, you know, history tells us, uh, you know, that it was the Peyton Manning-Ryan Leaf draft. Uh, you know, I don't know how much you can share or you have shared in the past, but was it really uh, as, as tough of a decision as, as the media and history wants to make it believe, or was it Peyton Manning all along? Uh, no. Uh, when I first got to Indianapolis uh, in, in late December, early January of, of that year, I sat down with the scouting staff and said, okay, how many guys like Ryan Leaf? How many guys like Peyton Manning? 50-50 right down the middle. Wow. So I said, okay, um, 
let's go back to the film. We'll 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 look at every pass they threw in their careers, and and we'll do we'll go through the whole process, and we'll make a judgment. Now, as we got to the individual workouts in March, in in mid March, um, by that time, Peyton had a had a small lead, but a lead nonetheless. After the workouts and the personal interviews, that lead widened to use a horse race uh, analogy to about five lengths. And so we knew at that point that it was Peyton. But um, up until then, they really hadn't separated themselves. And what was interesting was that we found out that the conventional wisdom, which was appearing in the media, which of course comes to the media from other sources, they, they don't make those judgments themselves. Having worked at ESPN, I can tell you that's the case. Um, the conventional wisdom was that Peyton Manning had a weak arm, that he was not a good athlete, that he was a quote product of the system and that he wasn't a winner. The converse was conventional wisdom was true of Ryan, that he was a great athlete, that he had a tremendously strong arm, uh, that he could manufacture uh, plays on his own outside the system and that he was a winner. And um, the conventional wisdom was almost 100% wrong, as we found out over time. Unbelievable. Is there any one pick? I mean, obviously, Peyton Manning is one of the more famous ones. Is there any one pick that you're especially proud of, a guy you got in the sixth, seventh round, undrafted free agent that turned into something that, uh, that you look back on and say, I, I nailed that one. I hate to brag, but I, I, I kind of nailed that one. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, there, there were a lot of those, but. But, uh, you know, Steve Tasker in, in Buffalo was a waiver claim. Mark Kelso in, in, in Buffalo was a, a, a waiver claim. Uh, Antoine Bethea was a sixth rounder. Um, you know, there are a lot of them. And Jeff Saturday, ostensibly a Hall of Famer, was, was a free agent. He was selling uh, hardware in, in, in Atlanta <laughs> when, when I got a tip about him from a, another player. So there are lots of those, but I don't take credit for them because that's a product of the system. If you have a good scouting system and, and a good way to judge players with a heavy emphasis on what Marv Levy used to call football temperament, other people call character or makeup. If, if that's what drives you, then you're going to uncover those guys. And, and the system takes you to those guys. I'm proud of the system that we created, but it was a group effort. Last one, you know, Super Bowl's coming up, obviously, here in a couple of weeks. 99.999% of people will never be able to walk into that stadium as a member of a team that's competing for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Obviously, you did it. You won one in Indianapolis. I mean, what is it like? day of, week of, you get to the city, whatever, Monday, Tuesday, what is it like to be on the bus, in the hotel, in the meeting, whatever it is about this week? Because like I said, 99% of us, it's way more than that. Whatever 99, whatever infantile, none of us are going to experience it. So what is it like for those of you who are lucky enough to do it? Well, there have been books written about it, but, but it, 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 it would require a book to go through all of it. But let me see if it's a great question. Let me see if I can if I can capture it. Uh, first of all, there is no euphoria that's as genuine and 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 as heartfelt as winning the conference championship. Really, may sound strange. I was going to ask you, but I thought that was a dumb question. I was actually going to ask you that, but I thought that was a dumb yeah. question. It's true. Why, why do you say that? Because first of all, you do it in front of your home fans on many occasions. And if you do it on the road, as we did once in Buffalo, you come back home to an incredibly joyous celebration. All right, 10 degrees, literally ice and snow all over the ground. And there are 10,000 people at the airport at 10 o'clock at night to welcome us home from Miami when we won the championship, the conference championship in, in Miami in 93. Virtually every Colt player will tell you that beating New England at home 
for the championship after all those years of, of trying to slay that dragon and, and being portrayed as patsies for the Patriots when we beat them for coming from behind from 21 points at our place. Much, much more joyful than the Super Bowl, really. I just, you know, it's, it's a level of joy that's completely devoid of any outside trappings. It's you go in that locker room and there's nobody in there with cameras. There's no, there are no hangers on in there. It's only the people who have marched from training camp and, and OTAs in June to this point in January. And you share that joy. You've climbed just to the precipice of the mountain. You're almost there. And, and that's a dream come true. It's a dream come true. And then as you go through the week, you recognize no matter who you are, whether you're the general manager or a player or a support staff, trainer, person, you know, equipment person, video person, the people who touch the team every day, you realize that as you get there, your dreams come true. Your, your dream has come true because at 10 years of age, nine years of age, you're out there in the street or the backyard, no matter where you live, and you're dreaming of the day that I get to the Super Bowl, right? And, and as you say, 99.9% .9 of the people never get there. And, 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 and finally, you do share a story with you. Um, uh, we, we get in the bus to go to Tampa Stadium for the, for the press conference on, on, on Tuesday of Super Bowl week. That was a one week Super Bowl, by the way, the last one week Super Bowl um, versus the Giants, Super Bowl 25. And Jeff Wright, uh, our nose tackles seated next to me at, on the bus. And, uh, and we turn on to Dale Mabry Boulevard, which abuts the stadium. We got about three quarters of a mile to go on Dale Mabry before we get to the stadium. But we can see the logos of the two teams on the facade of the stadium. And, 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 and Jeff reached over to me and put his hands on my arm and he said, holy bleep, Bill, we're in the Super Bowl. I said, yeah, we are. Yeah. So th there's that wow moment, you know, we're in the Super Bowl. Um, and then uh, you're, you, then you, the thing sort of denigrates a little bit into all of the falderall that surrounds it the media, the tug and pull of people who want tickets, uh, you know, all, all of the ephemeral stuff and the coaches and the organization has to get the players focused and the leaders like Peyton Manning and Jim Kelly have to get the, have to get the players focused on the idea that, hey, we got to get ready to play this. Mark Schlereth, a good friend from ESPN, said it best. And I echoed this to our team before we left to go to uh, Miami for our first Super Bowl in Indianapolis. The team that recognizes that this is just another football game first is the team that's going to win. So well said, just another football game means prepare exactly as we prepared the whole time. Now, there is a motivational factor with it too. And I'll share this story about Tony. Um, Tony hadn't won a Super Bowl. I hadn't won a Super Bowl. I think all but Adam Venetieri on our team hadn't won a Super Bowl. Peyton certainly hadn't. And that reputation of couldn't win the big one kind of surrounded all of us. And uh, not that we focused on it, but it was there, it's out there in the ether, right? And you're gonna be asked about it, obviously. So Tony said to me, before we get on the buses to go to the airport uh, in Indianapolis, bring the team, make sure the team is in the indoor facility. So I, I made sure everybody was in there and he got up in front of the team and on the wall in the indoor facility, which they could see were banners which celebrated all of the various division titles we won. We won 115 games over that, over, you know, 10 seasons at that point, nine seasons at that point. So a lot of division titles, you know, been in the championship games, et cetera. He looked up, he said, see those banners? 
what's missing? And everybody kind of said a world championship guy. He said, that's right, that's right. So he said, as you get on these buses and we begin this journey, remember our task is to put the last banner up there. Don't forget that. Keep that at the front of your mind for the rest of the way. Fast forward to the following spring. Um, Tony says to me on the opening day of minicamp, got the whole squad there. He said, make sure before we go on the field that everybody's in the indoor facility. So we did, they gathered. And, uh, and so he said, I want all the guys who were members of the world championship team to step forward. So they all did. And all the other guys are of course in the back watching is a separation. And he said, look up there. And he had to, he'd already arranged for the maintenance people to unroll the banner. And when they rolled that banner down, wow. you know, the emotion was unbelievable. I still can't talk about it, but I can choked up. A memory I'll never forget. So that and the ring are the two things that you could never forget as long as you live. Now, on game day, man, oh man, is that, that is an emotional experience. That's an emotional experience. And it's the head coach's job and, and, and through the organization to help the players through that because um, the warm-up takes place long. They've changed now, thank God. But it, it used, you, you used to have almost an hour between the warm-up and, and taking the field. And, and you do have 35 minutes at halftime, by the way. So the game plan can change at halftime and, and often does. You have to feed the players at halftime because they've eaten four hours before the game, normal game time. Now it's actually five and a half or it's actually uh, almost five hours since they've eaten by halftime because of all the folder all that surrounds it. Um, and, uh, and so, you got to get them to the point where they can get past the introductions and the and the and the and the, the, the flashbulbs and, and all of the stuff that goes on and focus on the game. Peyton famously said in, in the book that he couldn't wait to see all those flashbulbs go off when you come out on the field yeah. and, and, and the game's ready to start. You know, all those cameras uh, flashing. And then bingo. You have to get right back into it and, and go ahead and, and play the game. And in our case, we kicked off to uh, Chicago and their great return guy took it all the way back before we could make an eye. Uh, but that emotion, uh, which NFL Films captures so greatly um, for the players when you come on the field, that's when it finally hits you. Here I am. I'm in the Super Bowl. This is the culmination of everything I've dreamed about all my life. And then you got to go play the game. As Flores said, the team that recognizes that it's just another game first is the one that, that, that will win. After the game, absolute chaos, absolute chaos. You can't celebrate. You, you really can't. You know, it, it's 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 the locker room is filled with uh, outsiders, people demanding interviews and everything from going to Disney World to you know posing for pictures with so and so and so and so. So it's not until, it's not, it's really not until as Tony did it, you get everybody together the following spring and, and, and really recognize that the, when you show the banner and when you get the rings, the ring ceremony is the following spring as well, that, that you really get a chance to celebrate with that, that core group that you've lived with for, for, for those nine months of that journey. Um, but, as I said, the banner uh, unveiling the ring, and then the opening game when you play on Thursday night, and if you've got, if, if, and you're at home and the world champions, and they unveil that banner, woo! On the sideline, it's unbelievable. It's just there's nothing else like it, because that's the culmination of all the dreams that you've had since you're 10 years old. I'm glad I asked that last question. I'm glad I asked that last question. The book is called Super Bowl Blueprints. Hall of Famers Reveal the Keys to Football's Greatest Dynasties. Bill Polian, it's in the background if you're watching on YouTube. 
Uh, Bill, man, I genuinely appreciate the time. Genuinely appreciate it. Uh, the book is awesome. Like I said, it's really, it's just, like you said, an oral history from the people who lived it. Jimmy Johnson, Bill Parcells, Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy, on and on. I cannot encourage it enough, especially, uh, you know, we're going to we're gonna have our Sundays free here soon in a minute. So, uh, you know, there's going to be more time to read. But thank you for the time. And uh, let's stay in touch. I really appreciate it and hopefully do it again soon. Thank you. Glad to be here. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.